What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown podcast. What's up, guys? Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the uh, OBR Film Breakdown podcast. I apologize for not having a show yesterday. Did a half-hour show with the guest, and it failed to record. And I just thought at that point, I tossed it in, said I'm not doing it, can't redo it. So we took a day off. I hope you're okay with that. I'm Jake Burns. You're listening to the OBR Film Breakdown on your Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, November 24th episode, presented by our presenting sponsor here at Blue Wire Pods, FanDuel, which a reminder to use the promo code OBR to get that $100 in free bets. Coming soon at the turn of the year when you'll be able to get in on some action, some NFL game action as the end of the season will be right there for you to put some free uh, free bets as you start here, and then also some uh, legal bets, which is the important part of it when we get to 2023. I have a great guest today. Quincy Carrier does a fantastic job, Untitled and Unfiltered. His, his um, YouTube channel has 35,000 followers. He does fantastic work. He appears everywhere in Cleveland, all over the radio, cleveland.com. You've had him on this pod. You've heard him here. I try to go on his show whenever he's able to have me on. I think uh, he does a fantastic job breaking down tape, giving analysis, all of that stuff. And it's a, it's a great talk show angle to everything he does. It's all around fantastic. There's AFC North coverage. There's there's Cavs coverage. All of it is found on his YouTube channel. So check that out. Quincy, thanks for joining us, man. <laughs> no problem, Jake. Um, during times like these, it's nice to be able to collaborate with other people because there's so much to talk about, but at the same time, so little you know it's just that rough part of the year yeah we're like trying to stretch dough out right now they're not giving us much to work with so we're trying to make like a a big pizza out of a little bit of dough here stretching this thing thin now the the thing you and i were just talking about off air is they're going to provide us with more to talk about because deshaun watson gets back in the week and i don't want to punt this this tampa bay game who knows what way that game will go i mean it's 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 to me a bit more of a coin flip than a lot of people want to admit but but when you look at watson coming a week away from this this game, you know, what are you paying attention to, I guess, is a, is a key part of this whole thing. Are you looking at how he performs over six games as a crucial indicator? Are you just looking at, hey, it's good to have a, a this this type of quarterback in the system? I'm just kind of interested because I've laid it out to the fans of this pod, what I'm looking at when he comes back. But what's your your most interesting angle of Deshaun Watson's return? I think it's like a very advanced version of what you would do in the preseason, right? It's an evaluation period of seeing what's actually going to work with them and what's not where there's not that many consequences, right? Because some of the stuff you might be more hesitant to try that's a little bit more risky but high reward with Deshaun. You don't want to really try it during the course of a season because you're, you're in the middle of a season. You're trying to win games. You're trying to make the playoffs. 
But now where the record is what it is, the season is what it is, you get to experiment more often with what you would want to do with him. Also, you get to experiment with what players are going to be out there with him and what players are going to be in specific roles with him to see who really does shine well and, and, and is much better with Deshaun Watson out there, right? I think this is big for experimenting, especially like in the red zone with David and Joku and Deshaun, because a lot of the hope for this offense to even hit a higher level than what it's already hit is the red zone execution, right? And David and Joku has to be one of the key pieces in that one, because Deshaun is big time throwing to his tight ends in his history. Um, as a player, he's, he loves going to his tight ends in the red zone. Um, and David Njoku is the one wide receiver you have on this roster that is that 50-50 ball, jump up and go get it guy. So I would want to see, okay, let's test that dynamic. Let's make sure that works out. You know, it's basically an evaluation period of who can be here next year and who is expendable next year who don't we need you know once Deshaun's out there is there really a need for Kareem Hunt anymore maybe that role gets much smaller because you're running the ball much less a game um you know it's a giant evaluation period obviously winning's important obviously you want to see good offensive performance all of that stuff kind of goes without being said but the evaluation is important and I think it's more important because now this becomes about building for next year and i know we don't love to hear that but this is a actually different wait till next year right this isn't an empty wait till next year we don't have a quarterback maybe we luck out and get one in free agency or the draft this is hey we got the quarterback we just need the full season with them so it's kind of a weird place mentally i don't know how any fan could prepare for where they're going to be at with him but it is an evaluation period to make sure that you're at the strongest possible way um, position to be successful next year. Yeah, all great stuff there. I think I've echoed a lot of it in terms of figuring out, and I'm not even sure if they're going to really introduce. Depends, I guess a little bit depends on what happens this upcoming weekend, but I think there are going to be things that they want to do with Watson that they don't really introduce this year because they want to leave that slate a little bit blank going into the following season. And I'm talking about little pistol wrinkles, read option wrinkles, RPO stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very high likelihood here that Kevin just keeps doing what he's doing that's in his comfort zone and then bridges off of that with the full offseason, preseason, regular season start next year. That's where I think it could go. Now, they could come out guns blazing, and who knows, because this kind of piggybacks into my next next question. Say the Browns lose this week and not altogether uh, you know, uh, an, an entirely unplausible situation that they would lose this game to Tampa Bay based on recent performance. Say they lose that, they fall to 3-8. and eight. Is there, I know there's a lot of buzz, not, not just in local media, but the local fans about Kevin Stefanski's job. I think the fans, again, of this show know where I stand on this, but I'm curious, is there a route at all in those six games to Kevin losing this job before he gets a full season? You know, because it's two and four in the final six and it looks ugly. Are they are they starting to question this? I'm just curious if you think there's a path to that uh, situation that I think would be really, really unfortunate. I think there is a path. I don't think it's a likely path like the path would include. Deshaun Watson getting out there and looking Baker Mayfield labrum tear bad, right? Like he would have to look that bad um, with Kevin Stefanski and the wins won't have, aren't there as well. Um, 
in order for there to be a possibility of him to be fired. But even then, I think the front office will just ultimately say, hey, that's going to be Rust. You know, they're going to blame it on Rust, whether that's true or not. Um, and he's going to be safe. Like the ideal that he gets fired for this year because the record is not great, I don't think is one that takes into account that the expectations were not great this year, right? People usually get fired when the expectations are incredibly high. That's what leads to firing. Freddie Kitchens got fired in one year because in 2019, the expectations were legitimately the Super Bowl. Baker Mayfield essentially got fired last year because the expectations for him were to be a top 10 quarterback. He greatly under uh, uh he under delivered on those expectations he gets fired like that's what gets people fired ultimately at the end of the day is when the expectations are high and when you don't deliver if the expectations were never high to begin with it's not very likely that anybody gets fired and with the expectations being as you know i think some of us had an idea of hey maybe this team could get to the playoffs but it was never they must get to the playoffs and they will get to the Super Bowl type of expectations for this team. So I think Kevin's safe. Yeah, well said. I think I think the similar vibe should be around this whole thing. It would be really unfortunate and it would put a lot of heat under all of this if Deshaun came out and had a Russell Wilson type run here to start these six games, right? Where he was just like, just Russell Wilson doesn't look like himself. Now, I don't, I just have a hard time based on how Kevin's pulled a really the best performances out of a lot of quarterbacks he's been with, especially as the start of that tenure, those two guys get together. They tend to pull out the best in each other, but it's not, uh, what do they call that? It's not a, it's a zero chance uh, situation. It's not one of those. There is a chance that could happen. And what you have to hope is that your point there about expectations holds true. And that whenever they decided to take the heat to make this deal, when the guys who are sitting in the boardroom, which I would imagine AB Stefanski, Depot and Jimmy are sitting in the boardroom. They they went through all of the outcomes that could happen here, uh, and maybe at that time they weren't talking about eleven games and they were talking about six. But when it pushed to eleven, you had to know that the worst possible scenario could happen. All I'm asking for is a year. Just give them a year. You can get really unfor really uh, push. You could push on this thing like crazy if this time next year they're three and seven. Like I get it. I would totally understand it, but I would prefer to see those guys uh, together for one year because if you listen to Deshaun too as he's talked about his idea of playing in Cleveland and, you know, aside from the money, why he chose it, he, he specifically mentioned wanting to play with Kevin in this offense. And he, he comes from similar structure types to, 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 you know, whether that was at Clemson, a little bit of stuff they did play action wise mm-hmm. and what he did in his time in Houston and the variations of things that they think they can put in with him. So I do, I do hope they give them some time here. We're going to take our first break, come back. We got to talk about some of these record breaking statistics as defense is putting up. We will be right back. Hey guys, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus. Right, get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app, Ohio. It's your chance to get in on the action. Join today again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer 21 and older, you gotta be present in Ohio. 
bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I had to post some stats today, Quincy, man. This is uh, this is bad. It was as bad as I – actually, it was worse than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to read these to you guys in case you're not a Twitter person. You're only a podcast person. I'll give them to you real quick, and then I need your gut reaction to these things. So I was like curious about the Browns' defensive line production because, honestly, what sparked my looking at it was – your video clip you put up on Twitter where you're like the, it was so great with the background music and how it's like a, it's like a performance. These guys are putting on, uh, they're doing the same things at the same times, the synchronization of terrible. So I looked it up. The Browns interior defensive line has 18 run stops on the entire season. That's all of them that have played. So run stop constitute as uh, PFF defines it. It constitutes a failure for the offense, usually like a tackle near the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. So the Browns only have 18 across their 11 games this year. There are 11 players in the NFL alone, individual players, who have as many or more than that. So let that sink in. 11 players wow. along individual players have outproduced the Browns' entire defensive line. And um, it branches off the fact, too, I'll come back to this fact in a second. I was looking at the EPA metrics according to True Media. Uh, they list out a whole, I mean, it's one of the best football sites I've ever come across. I'm lucky to have access to it. So the total <laughs> rush EPA, the Tennessee Titans have a 42.82, the higher number, the better here, uh, of rush EPA on defense. So that's what they've been able to add to their defense, a 42.82 number. The Browns are last in the NFL at negative 34.71. And if you branch that into what we wrote on last week at the OBR, that this is the worst EPA per run designed run that we can find since 2005 it could go back further than that the next lowest team in, in epa is the detroit Lions at 31 they're at a negative 11.28 to give you some perspective of the gap between cleveland and the second worst nfl team is the same as is the same number between tennessee and the denver broncos at 14 so it's historically unprecedented terrible. So somebody then, Quincy, followed up with a fair question, right? I thought this was a good question. So if they sacrifice Rundy to get greater pressure on the quarterback, what are the numbers for the DT group in terms of pressures? Are they creating pressures? That's a fair thought. They suck at the run, but they're creating pressures. They've created 38 uh, as, as an interior defensive line group. There are, there are Here are the players with just more than 33 alone. So these there are several guys, a couple guys who have created more on their own, but the 33 numbers in the same ballpark, DeForest Buckner, Grady Jarrett, 
Draymond Jones, Aaron Donald, Jeff, Jeffrey Simmons, J.J. Watt, Javon Hargrave, Dexter Lawrence, Quentin Williams, Jonathan Allen, Chris Jones. Those guys have all created 33 or more pressures alone, so they're not getting pass rush. And my question that branches off of this, because I think this is an interesting question, I looked back and I said, okay, how many top 75 invested picks have the Browns used in the recent history? And there's been the OBJ trade, took a first rounder away, took a first rounder away this last year for Deshaun. So there's a little bit of mixed uh, consistency with the draft, but they've only invested in three top 75 picks since 2017 year. They drafted miles. Number one, that same year they drafted Larry Ogunjobi with pick 66 in that draft in the third round. And then the next year, sorry, not yeah, 2018, they invested in uh, Chad Thomas uh, in the mid 60s as well. That's the only three they've invested in inside the top 75. And usually the top 75 is like the cutoff of your best prospects in a draft. I think Jordan Elliott went 88. And I think this past year, 78 was Alex Wright. So it's there's some close, but you can you get what I'm you smell them stepping in here. Like yeah. they're not investing in it. They're just saying we're you can ignore it to an extent, but what they're doing here from a personnel standpoint cannot be ignored. So my question to you is this. I think I've firmly been entrenched in the Joe Woods. The voice needs change schematically. I don't like what he's doing. I don't like the lack of alterations. I think, again, the voice needs changed on the defense. But how much of this also lands in the lap of those guys in the front office making decisions? Do you Mm. see them as equal counterparts in this, or do you see Joe Woods in his group and Kiffin, the guy coaching those guys up front as equal counterparts. in it. I'm just curious where your blame lands in all of this. First thing I want to say is it's hilarious that you thought to look up those numbers after watching that, because while I was looking at the film um, this week, cause I watched this and I watched the bills play the jets to make sure I was not crazy that this is not just how like teams are start, trying to defend a rundown in the NFL with the Browns are doing. Um, I had to watch another team to like, make sure like how run fits actually work. So I didn't, go crazy um and i remember thinking while watching the tape this week especially like they can't have that many ideal tackles you know what i mean like it's gotta be some of the lowest in the league um so thank thank you for looking that up um but yeah as far as the fix or as far as like where to blame and as it comes to andrew barry look if anybody's watched my channel for any period of time knows i've been chicken little saying that the sky is falling ever since they uh ever since the summer that sheldon richardson became a free agent and not that i was like hey keep sheldon richardson i thought hey we need to do opportunities. I remember advocating for drafting guys like D Brown, whatever draft class that was, I think it was 2020. Um, you know, I've been wanting the Browns to take that position more seriously because my thinking has always been if Miles Garrett is your best player, build around Miles Garrett. You know, make sure that Miles has the most support. Now, Joe Woods, he's a secondary guy. He, he was a DB coach in uh, San Francisco. He seems to have a preference to build as strong as a secondary as possible. I clearly have a different preference. That's a preference at the end of the day. But the issue with with talent development has also been a problem. Now, again, they haven't spent premium picks here. That's a front office problem, right? Um, Where you spend the resources are front office problems. Um, The fact that they drafted three guys, even though none of them with high picks and none of those guys are really, I mean, it's hard to say contribute because who's contributing right now? are, are are really giving you any semblance of productive snaps out there um that's on i think that's on the development staff right i think that's partly on uh um lane not lane kiffin but lane kiffin's 
brother out there. I'm blanking on his name, uh, Chris Kiffin. Uh, it's on him because the development has not been great. I mean, Jordan Elliott's in his third year. He still looks like a rookie out there at times. Um, and then you look at even like Alex Wright and all the other guys on the IDL on, on the D line period. It's not like there's great development going on at any spot there, other than like your best players have been Miles Garrett and Javion Clowney. There's not much development there. Um, also, you know, I don't know what the what the dynamic is between the scouts, Andrew Barry, and his coaches, right? Because I don't know how much input those guys have. Um, mm-hmm. But what I can say is that. When it comes to the offensive line in their drafting, where they have competent coaches for will coach for that offensive line, they don't draft poorly or as poorly as they do, even with late round picks, right? They get guys who can be respectable. Um, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, they don't get that. Like, and at some point I have to think the the, the suggestions that they're getting, the grocery list that they're getting from the defensive staff is not adequate and the resources that they're spending in there is not adequate. So I think those are like two separate problems. I don't know if one contributes more. I think, I think clearly the defensive staff is the problem here. Um, if we're putting out a pie, they have the pie, the slice of the pie that's significant here. Um, where they spent the resources is a bit of a problem, but they've had limited resources in the first round the last few years. Like it, I think Andrew Barry has had two first round picks in the last three years, right? He, the Jed Wills and then Greg Newsom. Um, Jed was yep. a top 10 pick. You desperately needed an offensive lineman that year. So it's not like we were going to take um, a tackle that year or a D tackle that year. And then Greg Newsom, that the need was at corner that year, right? Like I don't have a problem in context of how he spent those resources early in the draft. It's not like he took players where there weren't needs or good players in those spots. Um, the problem is, the players that they're taking. And I don't know if that's just scouting because I think we, we don't think about the role that coaches and position coaches, and especially coordinators have in who gets selected on that side of the ball. They make the grocery list and they're making, they're telling Andrew Barry what they want and what the Browns have wanted were these lighter athletic tackles who have not panned out. Um, and that's partly on Joe Woods, right? Part of the bad drafting is on Joe Woods because he's recommending these type, kind of players. Andrew Barry's not going to draft players that don't fit what Joe Woods wants. So that's also a problem there. Um, so I think this is more on the coaching, on the coordinator side. I think it could be better from Andrew Barry, but I think the thing, the problems and the resource uh, divulgement, all that, that's fixable at the end of the day with Andrew Barry. The problems we're seeing on this defense, like it's not salvageable anymore with Joe Woods, in my opinion. I have to agree. I mean, I have pointed out several different reasons why, and I don't think I need to go over those again. But eventually, eventually, when you feel like your players are echoing what some people who cover this on a daily basis are seeing, where teams are out scheming them, out thinking them, out preparing them, you start to have a question. And my biggest question of all, and I think you echoed some of it just a second ago. I do think you could you could give Joe Woods better players and it would put it to a respectable level. They've been at a respectable level over the years. But but how good do you want your defense to be ultimately? Mm-hmm. Do you want it to be elite? Because I don't see a path to that with the way Joe approaches it, the way he schemes and who he's brought in to help him. I just don't see a path to that. I would prefer to swing at somebody bigger Um, and there's names out there. We don't need to go over those yet, but there are better approaches to this thing. And I just think when you're in year three of a defense and we can't sit here and say, it's only been the interior D line, 
I'm sure you would agree with me. There are several games that the coverage gave them, uh, you know, hurt their potential to win a football game and were a, di- a direct result of blown yeah. coverages were where games were lost. And you're in year three of a system, not year one, year mm-hmm. three, and, and the perceived strengths of your group have let you down by by simple miscommunication, not understanding, not being on the same page. So I think I'm pretty much with you where they get a piece of that puzzle, 40% of it, but the larger part goes to Joe Woods. And I really don't see how you rectify it. Even if you get better personnel, which is entirely plausible, there are names in the free agent market. There are names in the draft that we could, that they could pay attention to in rounds two and three that I think can be nice players. I don't think that Joe Woods coming back is going to make them a, a really strong defense I don't think I, I don't think he's a guy that takes takes them to that level. I just have a hard time seeing it. And the problem with that too is like if he were able to maintain a solid floor, he could live mm-hmm. with that, right? But mm-hmm. the problem that I have, especially with with what's happened with the defense, is you have a floor setter, right? You should only be but so bad on a defense with Miles Garrett in it in his prime. You really should because he yep. makes things so much easier for everybody else. But We've been so incompetent with the plan, the strategy, the game planning, and the drafting of these players that surround him that we can't even get that floor, right, that we should have with Miles Garrett. Like, all these things can go wrong, but at the end of the day, we should always have a good defensive line because that we have the cheat code. Like, we have one of, like, three people in the world who can do stuff like him, and we're still finding ways to evade that floor. That, that's what's most frustrating, right? You have no excuse to be this bad, except for you ignore the position for a couple of years. For whatever reason, Joe Woods did not bang the table, right? Like I think that's evident. If Joe Woods was banging the table for interior defensive linemen, I feel like more of an effort would be made. Nobody banged the table. Nobody raised any alarm bells. Everybody looked at what was on the roster and said, hey, that's cool. And mm-hmm. that's a group failure. But as the defensive coordinator, you should be kind of trying to protect your floor, right? And Miles is your floor. Right? He's the most consistent guy out there. He doesn't have injury problems. And he's Miles Garrett. You really should not be this bad at defensive line with Miles yeah, and, Garrett. And, like, and it's too, inexcusable. Right? Like, it's, it's what's fascinating to me, and I think you would agree with me and interrupt me at any point here if you don't. But if they, my, my, my biggest point about this defense, if the defensive line, the status quo was unchanged, they were still terrible as a, as a D tackle group and the DNs are trying to compensate and they're playing worse because of the compensation and clearly it's impacting the linebackers. That's fine. Don't even mess with those guys. If you're back four and five, including when you play nickel, if they were really good playing elite coverage football, this team would be five and five. They would be five and five, mm-hmm. but the direct result of not only having a bad defensive line, which again, you and I are talking about here, you can split that pie up and I can certainly understand why you would feel like the blame needs to land in the lap of the, the front office. If that was unchanged, the secondary's full riddled with, ta- with talent, riddled with it. And they have directly cost you football games that would swing your season from three, three and seven hell to five and five hope. That's where I'm like, How can you have Grant and John and Denzel and Greg in the second or third season of existence in a franchise and have these guys breaking down simple communication rules to three by one or quads? And it's like 
what do you ex- how how can you expect that to change? Yeah, you can go get Jordan Davis and Aaron Donald to play up front, and that'll help a little bit. But if at times we saw it, it's not like we're just saying it happened in weeks one through four. It just happened last week. It just happened with with Stephon Diggs. Uh, they they run a simple two by two orbit motion to the right, and AJ Green just chases him. This is year three for AJ Green in the system. All he's got to do is stay home and cover curl flat to his side. He tries to communicate. Nobody answers. And there's a, an uncovered player in the back of the end zone. So that's my biggest resounding point here is like, it's not just this D line is historically bad. I, I, I give the front office a large chunk of that blame pie. I, and you did mm-hmm. too, but there's more than that. There are guys in the third year of the system looking around, like they're trying to read something in Spanish. So it's a problem, and I don't see how you can sit there and when you holistically look at the defense, accept that that is is a reasonable outcome in year three. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like it's hard to even evaluate the secondary at times because the defensive line is so bad because when you're watching the game, you're thinking, oh, well, we play well. Diggs didn't go off. Oh, well, we play well because Tyreek Hill didn't go off. And then you're reminded that you lost these games by multiple scores because they did not have to go to Diggs. They did not have to go to Tyreek Hill. We have no idea what would have happened if they really needed to get those guys open because they didn't need it. They were getting six yards on first down. They didn't need to do anything else, right? It's funny. The second um, quarter, the Bills were like, oh, shit, we can just run power duo and counter and we'll be fine. We'll just pin pull them and like, we'll we just found the export, right? It was like yeah. Madden. Like they found the glitch. Like we found <laughs> yeah. what we could do. And we're just going to spam that until it gets stopped. And it never got stopped. Um, it never even got close. Um, so the D line, like that's going to take the headlines, but. The set, like in the the other part, the layer to this, right? It's three years of this exact problem repeating itself, right? Communication was a problem in year one, acceptable. New defensive coordinator. Communication was a problem in year two. We turned over most of the roster, right? That defense was bad. We turned over most of the roster. We got new guys in there, John Johnson. Okay kind of acceptable and they look they got it together at the end of the year um, but when those problems popped up a third time and it wasn't a roster toner turnover and there wasn't a new coach like it was the same system the same players some of which who have been here for three years um and these problems came up and continue to come up that's when something starts to smell right that's when it's like okay this might be terminal this isn't just like a whole like hey man this is just a problem right now this is a problem that's preventing you. I mean, how many games over the course of three years that the Browns could have won that would have changed their season if the secondary was communicating effectively? How many times have we had to have these podcasts and conversations and bring on former players to talk about what communication should be like? like we have done this three years in a row, and it's not a coincidence that it's three years in Joe Woods's system, right? Like these things are a problem not just because they're happening. I mean, happening is a problem, but because they continue to happen every year. How are we having miscommunication problems, solving them in the middle of the season and starting the season with miscommunication problems again? Like, what are we doing there? How does that costing you games. It costs you three, four games at the beginning of a year that cripple you. You can't win divisions when you're sorting out coverage communication context for the first four or five games. You might get away with it. The Panthers game, they got away with it. 
right? But you're, it's going to cost you other games that matter. It's it's just a fact. It's just how it goes in the NFL. It catches up with you. And like I've just seen them, and it's not like adding on to that. I don't think Joe Woods is some master design guy either, where he's like he's got all these things up his sleeve that he's trying to trying to work. It's been funny the last few weeks if you if you watch kind of what Miami did to them and what Buffalo did to them. They know that the Browns edge guys, and they like to do sort of a similar front to what Jim Schwartz does and what Tennessee, as he's a defensive personnel advisor over there, they're doing a lot of the same stuff they used to do in Philly, which is a couple, you know, three techniques. They're, they're playing wide, and they're, and they're really funneling stuff in the middle, and that's what the Browns want to do, but they're so bad and along the middle of their defense that they have starting to force their ends to play inside. Like, you're crash guys all the time. They're inside, 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 and teams are like, all right, you want to do that? Well, we're just going to pin-pull you and pin you with a with – a, with a, wide receiver mm-hmm. or a tight end and toss sweep to the corner. And there's no one there. There's no one home. There's no one redirecting. Mm-hmm. And like that on top of, uh, you know, counter stuff that they try to spill by fronting it down. There's nobody home to take care of that. You have Greg Newsom, who's not a really physical slot corner. Greg's a great coverage guy. I've talked about this and my, I don't like him being inside because he's not really Greg's a great cover guy, but he don't want to play. He don't want to play a sling run fit. That's not his thing. He doesn't want to do that. That's it's just, it's not his thing yet. So you're, you're like, you're pigeonholing a bunch of players in positions I don't agree with. Your secondary communication is porous at best. And then you sort of mix in the draft stuff. And you talked about it earlier, where I think that there's a glaring issue in evaluation of safeties, evaluation of interior D-line, and evaluation of tight ends, I think is what Andrew Barry's group has struggled with. So you start to add that two of those are at important positions that they're not getting enough out of. You know, signing John Johnson and playing him, I think, in a position that is completely wrong for his skill set, among many other things. I just don't see the vision working, and I think it needs to just be altered. I'm willing to listen to, and I know you've put out some videos on it. They're on your channel about who I think you just did one yesterday about who the next DC should be. And we've wrote some stuff at the OBR. I think Kevin deserves another chance to get the defense higher right. And I think that's the best route for me because that's what's lost a majority of games here. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to take one more break, and then I'm going to throw the question to to Quincy here, which I think is a fair question to close. So we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I wrote about Sean Payton, his existence in the NFL. It's ironic because Sean Payton's like picking on people that aren't even dead right now. Like he'll go to Arizona and he'll go to the Chargers. Like, dang, man, let those guys die before you put out news that you're going to go to these other places. Like, geez, man, these guys aren't even fired yet but anyway it's funny because Sean Payton's a name that comes up a lot in brown circles for like people that want to replace Kevin but when you look at Sean Payton's existence in New Orleans first year playoffs coach of the year next two years even 500 records one year seven and nine 
I think he had an eight and eight mixed in there. People wanted him to be fired. He was on the hot seat, changes his defensive coordinator, ironically, to Greg Williams. They take off. They win the Super Bowl, and the rest is history. I think Kevin deserves another chance to get it right. Higher guy. The question I think, which you just hit on and is worth talking about, is is there a path where the Browns have some success with Watson and the defense starts playing better because Watson closes drives, they get up 14, 17, and teams have to throw. They can't, they can't run the way they want to. And Joe Woods saves his job because that to me would be a nightmare where you get these guys playing well at the end of the year. Maybe they go four and two or five and one. They play much better because the defense is having to defend things that they're more comfortable defending, throwing the football. And it's like, oh, Joe Woods defense figured it out two straight years. Now he's going to launch into next year. They're going to hit the ground running. And it's the same thing. It's the same crisis. So like, is, I guess my question here is similar to your question, the question I threw at you earlier, is there a path to where Joe Woods saves his job? Because that's, that's something I'm pretty afraid of. And I guess pre for two, because the net special team stuff is pretty ugly as well. I would say this. If there is a path for Joe Woods to save his job, I worry about if Kevin is, has it in him to pull the trigger, right? Like, cause it does not matter how they end the year. The evidence for him being fired. I mean, quite honestly became unavoidable after the third time these communication issues popped up. Like once that cost you that 13 point lead, it, it should have been in Kevin's head that he's looking for a new defensive coordinator next year. I understand the reasons he doesn't want to go into it. Well, go, go into an interim D, D coordinator situation. I understand that. But at that point, once that popped up again, that was for me, at least where I was like, the issues defensively are terminal and they, they include the defensive coordinator. Um, so I don't think there's really a path for him to come back. I, I think Kevin should be smart enough to know, and, and Andrew, they should, they're going to get together at the end of the season. They should be all smart enough to know that any improvement to the defense after Deshaun Watson shows up has nothing to do with Joe Woods. Well, now I want to say nothing, but the amount that it has to do with Joe Woods is not enough to justify it. Because what we are seeing here is a defense that even if Deshaun's playing, and look, it, let, let's be real here. If Deshaun was playing this whole season, the Browns are probably still like in division contention. They're a really good team. Um, and we're talking about playoffs and we're not, we're, we're kind of annoyed about the defense, but we're not as down about the defense as we are right now. Uh, but this is a defense that has proven to you that in the playoffs, it's going to be the reason you get eliminated, right? Like that's where these margins get really thin. And where you're talking, when you're talking about winning four games in a row, if you have a defense this bad, you're not winning four games in a row, right? I don't even think the Browns have won more than two in a row this year because of the defense. So um, that should be evidence enough that things need to change. And the one I'll, I'll give credit here to Andrew Bear, even though I've been a little more, more critical of him than I expected to be here. One thing you can say about Andrew is when that became obvious last year with the offense, he did a real good job rebooting everything, right? He signed some key players. He got rid of some other guys who were key players, and he kind of soft rebooted the offense, um, new quarterback and everything else. Now the issue is the defense. I, if you look at Joe Woods as the quarterback, that's probably who needs to be replaced. Um, and I think Andrew will go about it as he should. Uh, but again, it, there, there is that horror scenario where we start blaming. Like you almost want the Browns to still give up like 30 points. And if they win a bunch of games, it's because they're scoring 40. So we don't forget that Joe Woods needs to go. And I think that's why a lot of fans are so 
adamant that they want Joe Woods gone and, and are screaming about it as much because they just want to know for a hundred percent fact, he's not going to be here next year because <laughs> we see him as a roadblock to success. Um, yeah. So I don't think he has a path to stay on if he does. And I don't want, I like Kevin a lot. I think Kevin's going to be a great coach simply like, even if he doesn't get better at some of the other stuff, he's such a good offensive coach that it justifies the rest, especially while he's young and developing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want this to be what drags him down. Right. I don't want to be, I don't want this to be a lesson that he has to learn by getting fired. And then he goes somewhere else and he becomes great. I think Kevin should, should be open to, Hey, maybe the mix of personalities on the coaching staff is not the right mix, right? Everybody's kind of just little Kevin's out there, right? It's Kevin and other Kevin's out there. Maybe you need a different balance and a different mix to, to keep the locker room more engaged, right? Because we do keep having these little issues where guys are barking back at the staff and they're not necessarily happy during the course of the season, second year in a row with Kevin. So maybe he needs to find a better balance of the type of personalities. And when I talk about who should be the next D coordinator. I don't like to use names in these things because it's often the times you sign somebody or you get somebody to be that spot that you never heard of before. And then people get disappointed because it's not Greg Williams or whoever Twitter wants to hire. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk like whenever I bring this up, I talk about traits and experience in areas of expertise that you want this guy to specialize in, right? What do you want the background of this this uh, next defensive coordinator to look like, right? Do you want somebody with experience? Do you want somebody with specific positional experience, right? That's where you can have a more productive conversation um, about that. And I think that's where if you're Kevin, he should be focusing on, you know, what what personality types, what what do I feel like will help the locker room stuff? Because that does matter. Um, I don't want a raging lunatic on the sideline or anything like that. But it does matter if you have different types of personality because those guys can connect to different players that maybe Kevin can't, right? Um, so that's something to think about. I really don't want to think about or, or live in a world where Joe Woods, is, we're, talk, we're, trying to, we're trying to get excited about a Joe Woods defense in, in 2023 for 2024 and everything else like that. Um, but I think the one shining light in this whole Watson fiasco and suspension, the 11 game suspension, is that hopefully it made it of unavoidable that you need to get rid of the defensive coordinator. Because I don't know if it would be this clear if Watson were in there, simply because you would still be winning some of these games. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's entirely possible. And especially the form we're, we're just talking about there where they force offenses to play differently. A lot of these opening script drive touchdowns would be multiple early touchdowns. The Bills game would be a perfect example. I think, you know, and some of that wasn't Jacoby's fault. I don't mean to pin it on him, but like if you go up 21 or 17-3 in that game, you change how Buffalo has to play. And that could happen in many of these games where teams have been able to run uh, to mm-hmm. dominate you because you didn't put touchdowns on the board when you needed to or or whatever other uh, point. These games situation. usually get out of hand for the Browns. After halftime, what happens after halftime all the time? Well, we never win the coin toss, right? For what we've won like one the entire yeah. year. Um, so what happens after halftime? This happened in Miami. This happened last week against Buffalo. This, this has happened more times than I can count um, where the Browns let them double dip at the end of the first half. They come That's back in the have. second half and either score a touchdown or get a field goal. What's that up? Plus 10, right? Like yeah. they're not coming into the halftime with the lead. They're going down down seven and they're giving up at least three on that first possession. Now you're down 10. Game changes. If you don't score that next drive, the game is pretty much done. Not because the offense can't make up a 10-point deficit, but we don't feel like the defense is in position to stop the run enough 
to hold a 10 point deficit for the offense, right? That's the exactly. big problem that that has plagued this team and that that's something that's become so obvious, right? It has, man. And and with Watson, there's some of that stuff there. That's why I wanted to ask you that. And it was a little bit on the flip side of that, which is as a person outside of the Bengals, I was really happy they were winning games late last year. They went on that run. They did. Now I was like, all right, I didn't need them to make the Super Bowl or potentially win that <laughs> damn thing. But I was really excited because I think Zach Taylor's not up to like, I don't think he's it. I really don't think he's a great coach. And I thought he would hold them down for a while. And I think there are pr- plenty of examples where Zach Taylor is lacking. And I, I was really happy they kept him. And I think a lot of people on the flip side of this, see the Browns defense, the talent that it does have in key important positions knows that they're probably a sharp mind away from really figuring that thing out. And they're really pulling for the Browns to win some games late in the year and save Joe's job. So I, I really don't, I don't want to see that outcome the same way you don't listen before we go. I got one very important question. Okay. Very important question. I need your top three things on your plate for Thanksgiving day. I need them. You're the three things that you are looking the most forward to eating today. Mac and cheese. Oh yeah. Bingo. The, the jailed out the can cranberry sauce. <laughs> And I'm a ham guy. I like the ham. Okay. You know, the ham with some with some pineapple on it. You, maybe you get a little maple, like maple. I don't know what they call it, but it's like this like sugary brown sugar type of substance on it that they only do during Thanksgiving. That's my three thing. I'm not a big turkey guy, so I would go. Man, I, I can't believe I'm leaving stuffing out the lineup. Yeah, you gotta leave stuffing stuff out the lineup. Out. I'll pick it up for you. I would just do turkey for the ham. Sub <laughs> that out, even though I I do respect the ham. I, I think I think ham is so underrated at Thanksgiving. People leave Especially it out. Especially like a, the right, right slice of ham, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Hell yeah. Yeah. If they don't like make it too thick where it look, feels like you're biting a ham steak, but it's like just thick enough to where it doesn't feel like a deli meat. You know what I mean? Like, there's mm-hmm. that precise thickness of ham. Maybe there is a deli uh, person or, or, or a chef. Uh, that listens to the podcast that can inform us is the correct amount of centimeters of uh, millimeters that mm-hmm. slice is, but there is a perfect ratio. The right family member has to cut it. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Right family member has to be involved. I would put stuffing as my third. Listen, everybody, um, before we go, Quincy, remind them where they can watch you, kind of the release schedule of your shows and stuff of that nature. Every day, even now, uh, on, on youtube.com slash Quincy Carrier. You can find me there. Find my other projects. I do Worst Take is another channel I do Um, if you're interested in things around the NFL. I'm thinking about doing a video about, hey, is Kirk Cousins actually better than nothing? Um, <laughs> and, and that, so that sounds interesting. Check that out. Um, Also, you can see me on AFC North Talk. I do it two times a week live there, Mondays and now Thursdays. Um, and also, if you're into the Cavs, uh, you know, I do a Cavs channel there, Quincy's Cavs Burner. We do content four times a week. I, I, ch- I try to keep myself busy. Um, you search my name on YouTube, you'll find my stuff. That, that's the best way I can I can tell people to go find it. Listen, Quincy, great stuff, man. Everybody go out there, follow the YouTube channel. Uh, you're you're going to be better off for it, understanding different angles of the sport, different angles. And even like Quincy said, the Cavs as well, man. We are very appreciative of you stopping by the show today. Got to have you on a little bit more, man. We got to link up more. So so great stuff, and uh, we appreciate you. And have, have a great Thanksgiving, all right? Definitely, man. Appreciate you having me on. That's a wrap for today. Thanks to Quincy for stopping by. His stuff, I mean, I'm not – he's here. Listen, I don't care. I'll, I tell people who are good at what they're doing that they're good at what they're doing. So make sure you're following him on Twitter. 
Uh, obviously, you can find him at, at Quinn, uh, K-W-E-N underscore C on Twitter, and you can go to his YouTube page and follow everything you need to stay up to date on the Browns, AFC North, Cavs, a bunch of different topics, great stuff all around. To you and yours, a happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate you stopping by this pod. I will have something out for your Friday and Saturday as well, a Bucks preview and get with John Colosimo. So check those out. Eat until you can't eat anymore. Lay down, watch some football. And a reminder to, uh, you know, be Michigan, right? Take care of business. We hope Ohio State finishes that uh, revenge tour that they're set out to do. So, again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Appreciate you very much. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.